And this book, this chapter begins with a letter from a king. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in my bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the, he- the, the sky It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, If only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top 
touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against the Lord my king, against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. Let's hear the preaching of God's word. If I were to announce to you this morning that our great text comes from the lips of Vladimir Putin, how many of you would be ready to walk out right now on me? I don't care what Vladimir Putin has to say. I'm here to hear what God says. Amen. Well, amen to that. But what if the words of Vladimir Putin were exactly the words that Almighty God had taught him to say? Now what? Are you ready to hear the word of the Lord through the mouth of a Mr. Putin? You see, that's the sort of passage we come to today in Daniel chapter 4. The words of Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest warrior king in the known world 600 years before Christ's birth. The greatest man in the world conquering and ruling over the whole world as it was then known in his great Babylonian empire. And Mr. Putin is not nearly as great as Nebuchadnezzar and probably not nearly as evil as Nebuchadnezzar was. And yet it is this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who brings to us a message from the king of kings. It was a message given to him in a dream, interpreted by God's prophet Daniel, and impressed upon him by a humbling judgment of God. It's a message about the absolute sovereignty of God over all the kingdoms, the nations of the world, 
And what irony it is to find this truth in the lips of this pagan king who ruled over the then known world. So if you haven't got your Bibles open to Daniel 4 yet, I ask you to turn there with me. Uh, We are seen in our own day, and not only in our own nation, but on a worldwide scale, the disintegration of peace, the breakdown of law and order, the, the toppling of governments, Nations rising up against nation, wars and threats and rumors of war. Just like our Lord said that there would be. And this is not the end, as our Savior told us. But these are the birth pangs, signaling that the end is coming, and so our warnings to prepare for it. Now, in one sense, this is nothing new then, is it? War is as old as the nations. But will you not agree that when we see these things happening, in times like these, we need the Bible. We need the Bible to give us perspective. In times like these, when nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall, we need a good dose of the sovereignty of God. The reminder of who is on the throne of the universe And that's exactly what we have in Daniel chapter 4, from the mouth of the Lord through the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, it all started with a terrifying dream. Uh, Kids, you may have had scary dreams, but this dream was different. This was God revealing himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this enormous tree visible to the ends of the earth, And it was so big that it provided food and shelter to all the creatures of the whole world. Now, that's a big tree, the kind that only happens in your dreams. But then a messenger came down from heaven and cried, cut down the tree, lop off its branches, strip its leaves, and scatter its fruit. But leave the stump in the grass of the field. And then at verse 15b, you'll notice something strange takes place. This tree stump is given a personal pronoun. It's called him. So we go from a tree and a tree stump to him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. And then in verse 17 comes our great text for this morning. Announced to Nebuchadnezzar by members messengers from heaven that all of this would happen so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Now, this great text is found not only here in verse 17, but it's found three more times in this chapter and one more time in chapter 5. Kids, if your parents repeat something twice, you really better sit up and listen. You need to hear it the first time, but if they repeat it twice, it's really important. What must we say about this message if, if in this short span of Chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel, we have five times this same message pounded home to our hearts. 
And it's not just for Nebuchadnezzar. And it's not just for Israel of old. But it's something that God wants the living to know. And by the looks of that, that's you this morning. That's me. This is something that God wants the living to know. It's something we need to know and to acknowledge from the depths of our hearts. It's something we need to live upon day by day as we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The truth that our God reigns. That whatever's happening in his world, he is sovereign. He is ruling over it all. Now, we're told that none of the king's wise men could interpret the dream, so Daniel's called upon to do so. And from some time, for some time, Daniel himself was terrified at the dream. And it was only at the urging of the king to tell him the meaning that he finally got it out. If only this was true of your enemies and not you, O king, because you, you, O king, are that tree. You are great and strong. Your kingdom has reached to the ends of the known world. And all the nations are under your canopy. Well, this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of, the, of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. There's the second time we hear this great text. The sovereign God is coming in judgment for you. But let's not miss the fact that mercy is here mixed with judgment. With the judgment comes mercy. For Verse 26 says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. When you acknowledge that heaven rules, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. And your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. It may be that this whole threatened judgment may be averted if you repent. So that's the dream. And that's the meaning announced to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel even threw in advice for free. If this is the word of God to you, let me advise you to repent. Let me urge you to turn from your oppressiveness of your people and from your wicked ways, and perhaps God will show you mercy. So what is the unchanging lesson that it teaches us about our God and about our world? And again, this is nothing new to you. To, to you. You, you believe the sovereignty of God, most all of you. You've been in this church and under this ministry, but we need to hear it and apply it to our hearts and to our day afresh. It's just that, that God reigns as absolute sovereign over all. And so we see that he is called here the most high. He, he, he's high in authority. He's high in power, high in dominion and rule. And as the most high, 
There's none higher. There's not even any equal to him. He is the most high. To whom then will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One, Isaiah 40, 25. So the most high God is also here told to be sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Who is this Jehovah, most high God? Well, he's Israel's God. He's the God that revealed himself to this one nation and took them to be his people in the Old Testament. And yet what he is claiming is that I am not only in charge of the nation of Israel, this little nation, I'm in charge of all the nations. So Israel's king is king over all the nations of the world. What an announcement. And that's why God is called the king of kings. The king of kings. Now, there's a surprise for all the kings of the world. They have uh, a king over them. Even the highest kings among men, like Nebuchadnezzar, who was the greatest king of all. And it goes for every president and every king and ruler of the present day. They, too, are to know and acknowledge that there is a king over them. God reigns with supreme authority over them and their kingdoms. And he's a God to whom they're accountable for how they use their authority. Now, if that's not humbling enough for Nebuchadnezzar, he must also know that he only has his position of rule because God has given it to him. Now, most, most great men of the world don't view that that way. They think the reason they're king is because of who they are and what they've done. They've accomplished this thing. And yet here, the word is, is that no, no, the only reason you're king is because God has given that rule to you. Verse 25, the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Psalm 75 says that promotion comes from God who puts down one and lifts up another. It's his prerogative, and he exercises it in all the nations of the world. If anyone's king, he's been put there by God. So that's terribly humbling for a man who thinks he's quite exceptional and boasts of conquering kingdoms by his own superior wisdom, power, and greatness. But it gets even more deflating. As you see in verse 17, he says that God sets over these kingdoms the lowliest of men. Take that, Nebuchadnezzar. You think you're so great. God's in charge of who gets to reign, and and his way is to to take the poor from the ash heap and the needy uh, and to lift them up with princes of their people, to seat them in places of leadership. The poor, the needy, the nobodies. Men think that they have scraped and by their own importance have made it to the top. But God sets over kingdoms the lowliest of men. That's often his way. And and so he's cutting the knees uh, right out from under Nebuchadnezzar, carving him down to size. Now by nature, kings tend to be proud and self-willed, ever getting his own way every day, all day. Everyone answering to him, him answering to no one. Might equals right, therefore. 
because I can, I will. Making his own laws and bending to none. And so true to nature, Nebuchadnezzar is soon over this terrifying dream. He gets over it, like you get over a scary dream. And he just dismisses this message from the Almighty. And he continues on in his proud and sinful, wicked and oppressive ways, ignoring both the threat and the advice that Daniel brought to him. Reminds me of Psalm chapter 2. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers of this world take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed king. So, what happens when these mighty world leaders exalt themselves above God Most High, ignoring both his threatened judgments and the calls to repent? Well, we're told in verse 29 what happened. Twelve months later, we see something of the patience of God in that. Twelve months later, Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. He's just looking out over it all, preening his feathers and, and boasting and patting himself on the back. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? There's not a whisper about the sovereignty of God. There's no acknowledging that God has given him this realm and that God is the one who has set him up in this position. And so here we see that God first instructed him by his word. He first teaches by his word, but some are like a mule who refuse to be taught who have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Maybe the same could be said of some horses, that that you speak to them and they answer. They do what you tell them. But there are some mules that will not obey you unless they get a board or a, a spur or a bit and bridle to move them. And that's what we have here. I wonder how it is with you. Do you respond to the instruction of the bare word of God when he comes to you and you're reading of it, the hearing of the preaching of the word? Are you responsive to that? Or do you require the bit and bridle, a bigger hammer, a bigger two-by-four to get your attention, to get the message and obey? Well, with Nebuchadnezzar, He brushed aside the word. The bare word of God meant nothing to him. It's now time to teach him another way, in a way he cannot escape. And so we're told that while his boastful words were still on his lips, isn't that something? He's he's arrested even as he's boasting. It's, It's still on his lips, and suddenly a voice from heaven interrupts him and calls him out by name. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. The Most High who gave it to you is now taking it from you. You'll be driven away from people and live with the cattle. And seven times, which are either years or seasons, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign in the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he pleases. 
And there's our great text for the third time. And immediately, there's no 12 months waiting now. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. His kingdom was taken from him. His sanity was taken from him. Life as he knew it was taken from him. And he who once dined on delicacies in the royal palace is now chewing grass with the cattle of the field. With the mind of an animal, his body drenched with the dew of the morning, his hair growing like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. This time the message came in a form that Nebuchadnezzar could not ignore. And he brought the proud and mighty king to acknowledge that heaven rules. Heaven rules, not Nebuchadnezzar. That the Most High is sovereign over all the nations of the world. Listen how Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God's sovereignty. It's the fourth time for our great text. And he, he, he embellishes on it. He, he explains it more clearly. And goes into greater detail. He says, then I praised the Most High. Verse 34, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. He not only calls him the most high, but he acknowledges that he lives forever. He's not, this king is not like the kings of this earth. We live out our lives and then we die and another king replaces us. But not him. No, he lives forever. And therefore, his throne does not need to be handed off to another. He's an eternal king with an eternal kingdom. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he goes on in verse 35. What does it mean that God is sovereign over all the nations? Well, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing compared to him. It's the same message that God gave to the Israelites, when he envisioned that they were going to be brought under the, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in Isaiah chapter 40, they're going to need this message then. And so 200 years before Nebuchadnezzar captured and, and took them away and destroyed their Jerusalem and temple, Isaiah 40 was given to Isaac, to Isaiah to announce ahead of time the very message they would need when they were pressed under the heel of this Nebuchadnezzar. And what does Isaiah 40 say? Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. I don't know what less than nothing means, but it's not much, is it? And that's what the nations, Babylon... That will be oppressing you. That's what they are compared to your God. Behold your God. He brings to naught the rulers of this world. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground. Than he blows on them. And they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Surely the people are grass. Just grass. Compared to our God. They're nothing. And that's the divine estimate of the world's great leaders. They're nothing to boast about. In fact, their next breath is in the hand of the Lord. And if he doesn't give it, they wither like a flower. And they die. 
and their place remembers them no more. Well, Nebuchadnezzar goes even further in acknowledging the absolute sovereignty of God. He, he says of the Most High in verse 35b, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. Only a sovereign can do that. To do as he pleases with the powers of heaven, the, the good angels, the bad angels, the peoples of the earth, the nations. Now, when have you been able to pull off doing all you please for just one week? Without anything frustrating your desires and your plans. Managing your little family, your little life, your little budget, your little health. And you found that there were just too many variables that you don't have control over. How other people act. How your car acts. Your health, your, the economy, the weather, and a host of other variables you have no control over. And it's all proving that we are not sovereign. We are not in control of all that we do. But God is. The whole universe, he does as he pleases. He pulls it off. He's that great. He's that sovereign. Now, these great rulers of the earth think they're doing as they please. We'll march into Ukraine with our great army and our resources, and we'll do this and we'll do that. Or like Nebuchadnezzar, we'll find another nation we've not yet conquered, and we will add it to our winnings. But they, too, have great limitations placed upon them, variables that they cannot control. Reality is, is that they can't even keep themselves alive. How different with the most high sovereign who does whatever he pleases in all of heaven and earth. That's the whole shooting match. That's the cosmos. That's the universe. And every square inch of it is fulfilling his purpose and his plan, doing what he pleases. Remember how... The wise man puts it in Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is where? Well, it's, it's in the hand of the Lord. And what is he doing with it? He's, he's directing it like a water course. Been in an airplane recently and looked down on the rivers. They don't go in a straight line, do they? They, they wiggle around. And, and that's what God does. He directs like a water course. Here, there, wherever a king is to go. He directs the heart of a king. He's sovereign, even over a Nebuchadnezzar the Great. Look at him now, grazing with cattle, just as the Lord said. And he further describes what it means that God is sovereign over all. In the end of verse 35, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's two things here that Nebuchadnezzar says about God's sovereignty. First, he says his powerful hand cannot be stopped or hindered from doing whatever he pleases. As the Most High, there's none who can thwart his hand. And so the picture is this, that God is stretching out his powerful hand to do something in the world. And somebody says, no, you don't. You're not going to do that. That never happens to God. He's never stopped 
Now the Most High stopped Nebuchadnezzar in his tracks, didn't he? He took his throne and sanity from him, but none stopped God. And Nebuchadnezzar declares that. It's the same message that David declares in Psalm 33, 10 and 11. That he, God, foils the plans of the nations. And he thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. And so when he wants to do something, he does it. And no one can hold back his hand and thwart him. That's sovereignty. That's what it means. And there's no place in the world where that hand is not doing as he pleased. But there's even more to God's sovereignty as the verse goes on to say in verse 35. No one can say to him. No one can stop his hand, but no one can even say to him, what have you done? Kids, have your parents ever said that to you? What have you done? Well, they're calling you to account. You are under them in authority, and and so they're asking you, they're demanding of you to to give a, a, a reason for what you've done. Mr. Putin is even... Being asked, what have you done by the nations of the world, by some of his own people? And eventually, he will answer to Almighty God, what have you done? But nobody has the authority, the right to ask that of God. No one can say to him, I'm calling you into account. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping you in line here. What have you done? No, he does whatever he pleases with none to stop him and none to question him. That's sovereignty. The only law over him is his own nature. And he always acts consistent with his own righteousness and justice and holiness and goodness. He cannot deny himself, but he can do and he does pull off all his holy will with none to call him into account. Well, that's the absolute sovereignty of God over the whole world. And it's also true of men's salvation. The Apostle Paul points, teaches that very truth in Romans chapter 9, that, that God does as he pleases in salvation. And he has mercy, Romans nine eighteen. God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. And Paul says, well, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who resists his will? You see, someone's asking God, well, what have you done, God? You're to be called into account if you're going to give mercy to one and not to all. The Apostle Paul's inspired answer is, but who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? You see, the the, the reality is we all deserve hell. And God is totally sovereign in reaching into that mass of humanity that are making a mad dash to hell and having mercy on some and not others. He's sovereign. And no one can say to him, what have you done? Well, Nebuchadnezzar got it. He got that. He he finally gets it. Not just the word of God now, but the word of God with the judgment of God. And he's impressed now with the truth. Do we get it? Do we get it? 
Do we live upon this truth every day that the Most High is sovereign and is doing as he pleases right now in the kingdoms of men with none to stop him, none to hinder or thwart him, and none to question him? All this was done so that the living might know that God is sovereign and judge over all. The living. You know, the dead know it. But that's truth learned too late. We've been given Daniel 4 and 5 five times that, that now we in the land of the living might get it and repent and seek mercy while it's to be found in Jesus Christ. Don't miss the mercy of God to this pagan king. The Lord restored his sanity. He restored his throne, his kingdom, and gave him even greater splendor. And the chapter ends in verse 37 with this. The confessions, not of Augustine, but of Nebuchadnezzar. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Somehow those words have more power than if they were just the words of one of God's prophets. But to hear them coming from the greatest man in the world of his time, saying to us, those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. That's me. It wasn't long after this that Nebuchadnezzar died in the 43rd year of his reign. Commentators differ on whether he was truly converted or not. We'll find out in heaven, the last judgment, whether he's on the right or the left of Christ. But there's surely nothing out of line with Scripture to believe in a wicked man finding mercy with the Lord. Did you mean it when you sang it this morning? Like that thief on the cross, as vile as I, me as vile, wicked. And I'm one who's found mercy with the Lord. What a, what a sovereign. What a kind king we serve. Matthew Henry says there's good reason to hope that he was truly converted. And if, and if so, then we must admire free grace by which he lost his wits for a while that he might save his soul forever. What a kindness. And isn't God like that? He comes in judgment in your life. And oh, it was a mercy. It was a harsh mercy, but it was mercy. So this lesson on God's sovereignty, it's for us, the living, to learn. And it's the best of news for God's people. It was written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This was the very truth Israel needed as they lived under the heel of of harsh, wicked, pagan, powerful kings. Jeff Thomas says the shortest bridge from despair to hope is the truth that our God reigns. Without that, it's despair, it's fear, it's panic. But with that is the shortest bridge to hope, to comfort, to peace, to confidence. And children of God, our God reigns for our good, for our good. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can thwart his good purposes for us to work everything together in this 
world full of sin and evil, working it all together for our good, which is to be conformed to his son's image, our Lord Jesus. And so we're confronted with the reality that our Jesus reigns. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The Father has seated him there at his own right hand on the throne with him, his executor, to work out his purposes in the world. And Jesus must reign until all of his enemies are put under his feet. And he's reigning for us who are his people. This is a a truth that ought to bring us comfort. No one can lift their finger unless God allows it. They can't take their next next breath unless God gives it. That God's purposes will prevail down to the very last detail. Now that's a truth you can rest your weary soul on. That's a truth you can just put your your head on. That's a pillow to, to, to find peace and rest and say that my God is fulfilling his purposes. And Jesus never fails. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Best news of all for for God's people. But I must tell you in the second place, it's the worst news of all for sinners outside of Christ. To have this sovereign God against you. For he is at one and the same time the worst of enemies and the best of friends. Which is he to you? Have you come and bowed before him? He's determined to bring down every high, th- every high thing. It must come down. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And that means every bit of man's pride must be humbled. And here's this personal confession of King Nebuchadnezzar, the world's greatest man of the times. And the last words he speaks to us in the Bible. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. And he's just spilled his guts on the whole story of how God humbled him. He's telling the whole world. Can you even imagine any of the high and mighty rulers of this age getting on TV and telling the world of how God humbled me, a proud man? We'd have to go back a long way to find one of our own presidents who would go on international TV and announce it to the world. Well, that's what we see in Nebuchadnezzar. And his words remind us that it's one thing to humble ourselves before God, and it's another thing to be humbled by God. There's a difference, a big difference, from humbling yourself before God and God humbling you before God. The Lord Jesus points out this difference in Luke 18, 14. Everyone who exalts himself will... Be humbled. God opposes the proud. God resists the proud. But whoever humbles themselves will be exalted, lifted up. And you know it's one or the other. It's either humble yourselves before this God and king, or it's be humbled. And so Peter warns, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's kind to the humble. He forgives the humble. He shows mercy to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. Have you humbled yourself before him? Have you turned from going your own way and come in and bowed and pled for mercy? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
for Jesus' sake. Hang your whole hope for heaven upon what Jesus has done for sinners. Living a perfect life that you couldn't, dying the death you should have under God's wrath. That's humbling yourself before him. Nothing good to say for yourself. If you sent me to hell today, you would be just and right. But I've heard of your, your mercy, and I'm casting myself on your mercy alone. And God has grace for such who will humble themselves before him. And what we see in Nebuchadnezzar, being humbled is a picture of what's going to happen to every king who does not humble themselves before the king of kings in this life. Because God has highly exalted his son and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Mr. Putin, every president, every national leader, and every boy and girl and man and woman here and everywhere will bow the knee to the king of kings. And with their lips they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the sovereign, most high, to the glory of God the Father. There will be none in that day calling the most high to give account. You know, arrogant people talk about that, don't they? When I see God, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to say, what have you done bringing this into my life? Doing that in my life. This in the world, this evil, that king. You know what the Bible says? Every mouth will be stopped. Silenced in that day as the world stands guilty before God. Accountable to him, not the other way around, calling God to account. There's a higher king who reigns. We can't see him. Oh, but if you're, we're in Christ, we, we love him. We believe in him. We hope in him. We rejoice in him. It's good for us that he reigns. Then let's live in the confident joy of our Savior reigning. And if you're outside of this Jesus, you need to come today and humble yourself and cast yourself on his mercy. Let's pray together. God most high, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sovereign ruler over the kingdoms of this world, and through the work of salvation, the king of our hearts, the king of grace, the king of glory, we bow and worship you for the mercy we have found in you. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you had mercy upon us. As we look at our world, we confess we are often shaken with fear. We see fickle men with powers even nuclear powers at their fingertips. And it can cause us a lack of sleep and concern for the, the case of this world and, and what's going to happen. And, and so we, we need you to bring home to our hearts this message that you pounded home through Nebuchadnezzar so long ago, that you are sovereign and no one lifts a finger apart from you, that your purposes are being fulfilled, that Jesus reigns, with all authority in heaven and earth given to him. Give us patience to wait for him and to endure things that we cannot yet understand. We unite our hearts 
with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine who are right now suffering at the hands of wicked men and do not know what a moment might bring. We pray for the comfort of your sovereignty to settle them, to give them peace. We pray for you to protect them and bring to an end the violence of the wicked and glorify Jesus Christ even in this time of fear that many might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and Sovereign King. Lord, don't let this message uh, go over the heads of those who haven't yet bowed their hearts and knees before the Lord Jesus. But bring them this day, uh, by grace, to cast themselves upon your mercy and to taste what we have found in him, such a powerful and yet loving and merciful King. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.